Hi, my name's John Smart. Welcome to the latest podcast, for Sooner Safer Happier, where we are talking to people who are leading ways of working and are advocates of ways of working at large organisations. And I'm delighted to say that uh, Praveena Ladva has uh, agreed to join me today. So welcome, Praveena. Hi, John. Uh, happy to be here. And Praveena, could you introduce yourself and um, you know, tell me a bit about, about yourself and, and your role and what you're doing? Yes, yeah, certainly. So, no, and it's an honour to be able to speak on this uh, podcast. So, as John said, my name's Praveena Ladva. I'm the Group Digital and Technology Officer for Swiss Re. Swiss Re is one of the world's leading global reinsurance companies. And really, my role is to look at all things tech. But that also includes data, digital, uh, cybersecurity, and anything that you touch with an organisation that really enables our businesses to grow and accelerate falls into the remit of my my team. So that's not an insignificant role, Praveena. That's a that's a big role at Swiss Re. Yeah. Um, and to to start with the punchline in terms of ways of working, how you do what you do across Swiss Re. And and also your experiences from other organisations you've worked at mm -hmm. as well. What would you say are your top three learnings on the journey of improving how we do what we do? Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. So it's almost hard to paraphrase them into three. But if I was to pick three, I think the first thing is you've got to remember that we are all in people centric businesses. So how is it that uh, colleagues, people organise them themselves? to work together to produce an outcome, which brings, so that's for me is the underlying factor across everything. But then you've got to think about why you're doing it and what is the purpose that you're trying to drive. So the second thing I would say is be absolutely clear on the, your, the customer need, however you define your customer, who is your customer or what are you trying to create or what are you trying to solve and make sure you're aware of it. And the third thing is measure the impact because if you're making a change, involving the right team and experts, but you don't measure it. How are you gonna know if it's worked or not? And that virtuous cycle is super important because if you don't do that quickly, rapidly using metrics and data, then you're gonna find hard ways to fix things or to say oh, that really worked. So I'm gonna try it again. So those are the things I would flag. That's great. So people, customer centricity, the problem, the why, and then the data, which gives you a feedback loop. Yeah. And it was exactly. great to hear you use the word cycle there. You said virtuous cycle. Yeah. Um, I like that, Praveena. Um, like you said, that gives that, that enables you to have the feedback loop to determine what's working. Exactly. What to do more yeah. of. Yeah. And I think the quicker you can make the cycle go, go the greater progress you, you will make um, as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's great. Thank you. So we're going to come back to those three in a bit. Um, so Praveena, the next question is the context of Swiss Re. Could you explain a bit more for the listener what your context is? Yeah, so if you think about us as an organisation, we we're, primarily we're a B2B business, but we also have a, a, a commercial primary insurance arm as well. Um, so but if I think the bulk of the business is B2B, so what is driving us is we're a data-driven business, so we have a lot of data available to us. But if I go back to our purpose about making the more world more resilient, clearly we reinsure, do reinsurance. But we also support our clients and customers in many other ways, so providing right insights, 
and helping them along their, their journeys as well. So if you take a step back from that, we, we are like any other organization have a, um, what I call the engineering. So the technology just needs to work, whether it's your infrastructure, whether it's your laptop, or whether it's your phone. So that machinery just needs to work, needs to be secure, stable, and reliant. On top of that, you have your business applications, which goes everywhere from applications, claims, processing, uh, and a huge amount of analytics. So again, that needs to move at such a pace that we can keep up with the demand. But then all around us, we need to look at what are the new trends that are coming in? So it's all well and good thinking about what we're doing today. You've got to have an eye on the future as to what's coming down the pipeline. And then unlike a B2C business or a high transaction volume business, the pace we need to go at, yes, it's fast, but it needs to be fit for purpose for our organization. So we probably don't need to move at the speed of an FMCG company or even a bank that deals with transactions in seconds, but we still need a degree of pace and speed, but there's also an element of quality that comes into it as well. And in terms of improving how you do what you do and in mm. terms of ways of working, um, what's the, can you tell, tell me a bit more about the journey that you're on? So I would say probably about five, six years ago, um, in certain areas of our business, you know, we were standing up a whole new business area. And what we quickly realized is we're creating a new product, but not only we are creating a new product, there was an entire team around it. And we create what the first thing we did was under going back to my three principles. We understood what we were trying to do and when we had to do it by. Then we got the right circle of team and we started working. And then what we soon realized, actually, this is what is known in the industry as agile way of working. Now, I, I start, I try to steer away from the A word because it's become synonymous with different things. And sometimes people say, we're working agile. And I say, well, what does that mean? And I say, oh, pre-COVID, that means uh, we're working in a hybrid way. Or we can use a different working environment. So I think the, the meaning of the word agile has become lost. So in fact, internally, we have a team called Ways of Working Team which looks at all the facets of how do you produce the end product sooner in a better way um, that is to the satisfaction of our clients. So we have um, you know, all the facets, so all the ceremonies one would ex expect, scrums, um, DevOps, CI, CD pipelines, every single thing I can throw at it, that, we, we do that. The challenge we have is the maturity of which we're at. So some things we do really well, some things are still a journey. And that's fine because this way of working is a new thing to many people. And almost overnight, you can't go from today we're all working like this and tomorrow we're working like that. So what we're trying to do is create what I call lighthouses. So lighthouses are certain areas where we say business, this business unit, but we're going to change these processes. And now we're going to try and work this way. What that does, it has created an understanding. So it's created an understanding and all of a sudden everybody else goes, hang on a minute, they're laughing all the time. What are they doing? Um, and they are getting all the accolades because they're producing the end solutions faster. How did that happen? And actually the quality is better. So that creates, that's why I call it the beacon or the lighthouse because it attracts, it attracts people to want to work to it. I'll give you my own story. Um, in a prior role, um, I created a business unit that entirely operated this way. 
it was a, a global uh, team. So the idea of co-location didn't really exist. And many people had met each other. And every time I took on a new portfolio, my existing portfolio who worked in this way said, please don't make me go back to old school. I'm like, what do you mean by old school? They went like this whole waterfall thing where, you know, we do requirements and then we build it and yes, it's wrong and we go back. Don't make me, and I said, well, why not? I said, well, because we love working in this new way. And for me, from a colleague satisfaction perspective and fulfillment of work, that's what created the buzz. And then as a result, as people started to come and see what we were doing, we, we found it spread. So my recommendation would be start small, create the beacons, what's right for your organization, right culture, but then ultimately you'll come to an inflection point where in a big corporate, you will have to change your macro processes to match. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And are you at, where are you on that inflection point? In my leadership team, we measure metrics around you know, how the level of automation on key platforms, all the standard stuff. But then from running the business perspective, at the beginning of all our cycles, we agree on our strengths. From that, we have our core deliverables and we run an OKR process. So every quarter, all our sub teams do their own, they roll up into the divisions and they roll up into me. And we will have planning sessions and agreeing backlogs for the following quarter. And so I do that in my technology space, but we also do it with our business units that we do it in, do this work for. So we're now doing cross-functional and it's, we've probably been doing this now for about 18 months mm. and it works really well. That's great. Yeah. And um, you, so you're doing that cross-functionally. Does, does that mean business plus technology? Yes, it does. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and, then, and the other thing I would say, it's, it's probably broader than that. Um, I also think in the regulated world, you know, uh, risk, legal, compliance, they're all part of that team because one of our ethos is, is, is um, control by design. So all these people, as we're writing the user stories, are doing the user stories together. So it's not just about the tech platform or the business functionality. It's what else do we need to do as well? So that's key. And then the other thing I would say is um, they're all part of the same conversation. So how do you make it work in a, in a flexible way? Yeah, yeah, that's really good. And then are the cross-functional teams, business plus tech plus risk plus legal compliance, with your use of OKRs, are yeah. those do those OKRs become common goals for yeah, yeah. people to work to? Yeah, so then they they um, translate into their, not only the common goals, but they also go into the personal objectives as well. Interesting. Of my leaders and their teams. And then when I do the quarterly reviews or when we do quarterly reviews as an organisation, it's really clear, you know, especially in technology organisation, there are huge dependencies. So if the infrastructure team build the best cloud environment, the application teams are going to have to work together. The security team is going to work together. And I think the beauty of the OKRs is it shows across dependencies really early on. And I think that sitting on PowerPoint alone or in whatever system is not going to make the difference. It's the conversations around it that come to life. Yeah. And I, I am, you know, it's really hard to find another way of describing it. But I automatically, and I use it myself, but I have a reaction when people say business and tech, because my view is we are all business. If you're tech, you actually, by the way, you're all part of the business. Yeah. So what I, you know, for me, what success looks like, and, and I've seen this magic happen is 
you have a group of people around a table and you hear the conversation and you can't tell who is a scrum master, who's a business analyst, who's the app developer, who's a product owner, or who's a PNL owner, because their common goal is what they are trying to do uh, as opposed to their own silo thinking. Awesome. Awesome. Couldn't agree more, Praveena. Mm. Um, love it. And and actually what you just said there about the use of OKRs, that's, that's really powerful um, mm. because my personal conclusion is this topic around ways of working comes down to one word, which is incentive. Mm. The flip side of the coin of incentive is threat, yeah. which is why you need psychological safety. Mm. So you want to maximize incentive and minimize threat. Now, a lot of organizations accidentally increase mm. threat and don't think about increasing incentive yes because yeah. some organizations will do a top-down type reorg into squads tribes chapters and guilds and people have job insecurity and so on that's it's not uncommon yeah, so yeah i love what you were saying about okrs and uniting people across their role-based specialities and actually having it in their objectives yeah well yeah, because yeah. then there is a real incentive to work together and to and to step in and mm -hmm. be kind of t-shaped yes exactly and help out yeah and it's easy i mean so we're not done in the journey and i don't think you ever get to done because there's always going to be something new and because of the scale of the team everybody is at different levels of maturity and that's okay because everybody's learning so that's not an issue but i think it's i know the newer teams coming to this as soon as you say right what are your door metrics uh, let's get them in a tool so everybody can see them. They're like, hang on a minute. Does that mean everybody can see them? Uh, yeah. Well, that means you're going to compare me to someone. I don't want to show it. And I think that's a real example where you say, no, that it's not there to measure team X against team Y. It's just so that you know what is your baseline, what are you trying to do, and how you incrementally are trying to improve things. And are you working on the right thing? And I think it's signaling those kind of at cause and effect things that makes a difference and then the other thing is comes, unfortunately comes back to behavior if the first time the a, a metric shows in an adverse way the teams react um, or the leadership reacts in a negative way guess what they're going to do you're never going to see a an adverse metric again yeah so i think i think the role of leadership um and servant leadership in this is a huge thing because you know i always say to my teams i don't know the answers you know, I need to set the direction, the vision, and then I just need to get out of your way um, and be there to support, remove impediments. Um, if I go back, you know, a few years, when I used to be the, on a scrum call, I was, so, I had to sit on my hands because all I wanted to know was I wanted a progress update. <laughs> and one of my team said to me, <laughs> excuse me, um, right, you're going to come on the scrum call, but you can't ask any questions. That was really hard. That was really hard. Um, and then I realized, actually, no, I'm not here. They're not here to report to me. I'm here to help them unblock the challenges. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. How can I help? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I find the um, the improvement carter works quite well in terms of the language. Um, yeah. What are we going to learn next? Mm. What have we learned? What, what have you learned? What are you going to learn mm. next? How quickly can you learn it? Yeah. And how can I help? Exactly. No, yeah. no, for sure. Yeah, I like that. And yeah. it was an interesting point there around psychological safety or metrics. Mm. So, so that's that is a that's a theme 
that's a theme mm. across organizations is quite often as you said Pravina, there is a often a lack of psychological safety around measurement and data mm -hmm. where in the past it's been used against people exactly. so i think so that's another great point there around as as a leader the role of leaders is to generate safety around metrics mm -hmm. well, there's a little um trick that i have found works quite well there which is you don't need to surface the absolute measures outside of the team but actually surface the improvement trend over time yes yeah no that works yeah yeah that works and i think this the other thing that's happened is unfortunately over the history of this there's been so many evangelists on the topic so from a, a commercial leader um it's put sometimes i think it's changing it's put commercial leaders going down this route because people have become had become very dogmatic you must do this in this way you must do this this way and now there have been some textbook cases of these of what let's call it transformations and what people have, have forgotten is it's like a bag of tools you have a bag of tools and you don't use every tool for every job you pick the tool for the job that you're doing and it's no different to this ways of working and i say to my team here's the 20 things you can use what's the, your context and what can you change um, and the second thing is you've got to do what's right for your culture of your organization what worked in one organization may not necessarily work in your organization. And um, so those are the other two things I would flag if somebody's thinking about embarking on this journey. But one thing I'm super clear of, having worked in a very traditional way, you know, maybe 10 years ago, to working in this new flexible, I think even post-COVID, it's almost, I can't think of why you wouldn't work in this way. <clears throat> because it tangibly delivers bottom line results. And ultimately, that's what it's about. We're not doing it because it's a the next fad. It's because it deserves deserves results. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's great. And Pravina, for, for as as if someone is a leader, and I my view on this is it leaders at all levels in all roles, and everybody mm -hmm. is a leader. Mm -hmm. um, what would you say are some of the the most impactful things that somebody could do? I mean, you've already touched on this around servant leadership, mm. but yeah, what would your advice be to someone who's in a leadership position, wants to get better outcomes, maybe not quite sure what's the most impactful way to go about it? What would your advice mm. be? Uh, first thing I would say, if you're, if you're totally new to, new to this, start small, pick, uh, pick one area, maybe it's one specific platform, application, project, whatever it is, pick one area and just get started. Um, you know, in a, even if it's simple as every day you have a stand-up and you have a list of, you know, things that are progressing through the pipeline. So start small and learn. I think that's the first thing I would say. Second thing is um, recognize that you as a leader were going to have to change. So you, you're not going to get progress reports. You are um, not going to, you know, have people come and tell you what's going on. You, there's a degree of trust. It's almost it inverts the pyramid. You need to go to the standups, make time to understand the progress. You need to show up at the demos and the, the code release demos to see, okay, what's it, what's being delivered, um, <clears throat> and be become more of a coach. So the style of leadership, I think, uh, changes as well. And I think the other thing that, um, especially in corporates, people make a mistake, and this is where I think the older the new are coming together is. I often have people say to me, I've got, a, I'm working in Agile, I don't need a project plan, I don't need risk and issues, I don't need the blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, load of rubbish. 
at the end of the day, if I'm going to do a project that is about meeting a regulatory deadline or an external commitment, there is a project plan because in every segment, I want to know if we are getting through enough capacity and have the right velocity through the burn down charts to hit the, hit the end date. So the other thing I would say to a leader is speak to somebody who's done this before because there are so many schools of thought, it's easy to get lost in all the jargon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned you mentioned a, a myth, a common myth there, which is we don't do planning or we don't need documentation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, as you said, you actually do more planning and you have more documentation because you're doing it all continuously. Yeah, yeah. And there's a couple of other myths. One myth that I, you know, I even had a reaction to, <clears throat> actually more of a terminology thing. A few years ago, someone said to me, uh, we've got a backlog. Now, coming from an operational background, when somebody says they've got backlog, you just see, okay, that's a bad thing. Mm. That means we've got, we're behind. And then somebody explained to me what it meant. I went, oh, okay, I get it now. But that's a reaction often people have with the word backlog. Um, so that's one thing I would point out. And I think it's just being wary of what do, what do certain things things mean and, and just killing those myths because they're not reality the other the last common myth I get is um just because you, because I'm working at agile you're not in control actually I think you're more in control totally absolutely yeah it's not a theater of control yeah like it used to be yeah. yeah so I'd like to come back to your top three Pravina and um just dig into them a little bit a little bit more um so the first one was around being people-centric, around colleagues working together to produce an outcome. Mm -hmm. We've spoken about OKRs. We've spoken about OKRs providing a common goal and a common incentive to work together. And mm -hmm. I think actually that's, you know, there's, there's I think it's, it's uh, great that you have got them into appraisals as well. Um, and so is, is there anything else on that topic of people-centricity in terms of lessons learned? Is there anything else that you want to talk about? Any other kind of learnings on that topic? Yeah, I mean, I would think especially at, at Swiss Re, it's about knowledge sharing. You know, most companies think, you know, say we need to knowledge share um, and create that, that greater cumulative knowledge. And that's something we as an organisation do really well. We have communities of practice and people are willing to share what they know, learn and offer advice. So finding your community on where you can learn more is super key. I think that's one thing I would flag. Um, and don't be afraid to ask, because this is, you know, although it's been around for a number of years, it's still new and it's still evolving, um, is one thing I, thing I would I would flag. And the other thing is, working in this different way requires an element of courage and resilience, which people don't like. Because if you, if you go back to when we did waterfall projects, when you finished a project, you take a breath of release and go, okay, we're done now. Whereas this is continuous. And continuous doesn't mean to, it needs means chaos, but it means you're continually doing stuff, which for some people, you know, means you have to build a di different level of resilience. And the other thing I mean about courage is, you know, you are not going to have written your PowerPoint, taken it around 10 stakeholders, and then give the news. You're going to have to give good news and bad news on the spot. And that takes a different way of working as well. And that's why I think courage is really important. Yeah. Do you, do you feel that, they, that those behaviours need to be signposted from the top of the, the top of the organisation? Yeah, yeah. And it yeah. goes back to your point around psychological safety as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
and change is social as you example you were giving about lighthouses and there's, and there's no way I'm, don't make me go back to that previous way of working yeah. change is a social activity isn't it and it's that yeah. it's the it's that I'm going to wait to see what my peers think about this yeah and it, as humans we you know we are we're a social species so it's whether it's getting the accolades, the recognitions, the learning, the camaraderie of being together, working together, debating. We love that. Yeah. And this, I can't think of it another better way of doing it. And some of the toughest assignments I've worked on as a program and delivered some things, you know, even years ago, those teams I'm still in touch with today and those colleagues, they're mm. global teams mm. because we went through some good times and some tough times. Yeah. Uh, and we learned together. Yeah. That's it. It's the yeah, it's it's tech, really there's no such thing as failing. It's just learning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then on the second, your second key theme was customer customer centricity. Is there mm -hmm. any more you wanted to say on that, Pravina? Yeah. The thing I'd say is you know make sure you identify who is your customer, and that you um, don't assume what they want. You need to step in their shoes. So it might be you know for for me you know we're a we're a B two B business. So for me, as I go and sit with our client managers and go and see our clients and understand what is working for them, what isn't working for them, what are they looking for? Um, because it would be so easy to assume based on internal knowledge, oh, I think we need to change this and this, but it might be okay for the customer and therefore you could be investing in the wrong thing. So I think walking in the customer's shoes is really important. Um, and then, you know, the third thing is measuring that. Are you making a measurable impact? Yeah, and that that comes. That's your third key learning yeah. point. Yeah. I just I just want to I just want to linger on that point of walking in the customer's shoes. Mm -hmm. And how, yeah, that that's very powerful. And and so you said you go you go and sit with. Uh, I sit with clients, yeah. um, and you know, or I'll go and you know, sit or with the, the the operations teams on the phones. Yeah. And listen to the voice of the customer. Yeah. In a previous role, which was more of a B two C role. You know, I would go and sit in the branches uh, and see, you know, what were our customers saying, yeah. working with the people in the call centers and looking, hang on a minute, you need to toggle between 10 tiles to get to the answer the customer query and it's taking yeah. you 10 minutes. There's something yeah. wrong here. Yeah. So get out of the office or yeah. the home office. Yeah. And go and walk the customers in the customer's shoes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Nice. And then on the third one, data measurement feedback loop. Um, do you want to say any more on that, Pravina? No, I think that's quite self-explanatory, but um, data is key. And it's, you know, being social animals, we're very emotional as well. So you could easily make decisions on, I think this is, I feel this is wrong. If the data is something else, you're going to need to trust it. Yeah, yeah. And do you have centralized measurement around the things that you're trying to measure that demonstrate success of improving ways of work yeah we do like time yeah. like concept to cash lead time yeah do you have that yeah, kind so of centralized like, yeah we do so so we have the we've all agreed what the core metrics are so time to market the level of automation the code quality so it goes it's probably at three different levels but at the top level it, it is about uh quality at time to market and uh, I think those probably are the, the main ones. And then they drill down depending on where you are in the team. Um, but then it's down to the team to say over and above that, what is important to them because of the different maturity levels about what they want to uh, change and monitor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And are you also measuring 
client satisfaction or looking at the correlation to client satisfaction yes, and also yeah. colleague engagement yeah so we have um, so what I, the other thing we try to do is not duplicate so colleague engagement like every organization that has that so we have as to do and we then integrate that scoring and just to say right is there any insights coming out of that and then we also do um our, our major clients also give us feedback so we correlate that as well instead of duplicating it as so those, those goes those go in as key input which goes back to my um, second point around customer centricity yeah great great so then just to, to wrap up then Praveena the the benefits the um the 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 upside the size of the prize you know what are the what are the benefits that you're seeing from improving how you do what you do yeah, so I think the, the, the first benefit, I would say, clearly it drives business results. So I'll give you an example. We onboard, uh, one of our businesses, we onboard external partners onto our platform. A couple of years ago, it used to take 12 to 18 months. We can now do, we can now do partners at the same time with it, uh, in a month. So that speed to market is there. So I think that's the first one. The second one is around... Um, the quality of what we produce you know so there's a, a i would say a degree of reliability and consistency so i think the big thing that comes is consistency and with that comes transparency um which which everybody loves so i know i am i know what i'm going to do and i know what's going to come tomorrow and the third one which i almost think sort of encompasses all of them is our teams that who are happy they enjoy what they're doing so colleague satisfaction and doing purposeful work so I think for me, that is probably the biggest benefit, because if you can get that right, I always say everybody's clear on what we need to do. The what is easy. You either do it or you don't. The how is tough. And for me, this way of working is all about the how. Yeah. Yeah. This way of working is all about the how. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting how many organizations are too busy pulling the cart with square wheels to have a conversation about the round wheels too busy doing the doing to spend yeah. time improving the how yeah. um, so one my final question Praveena continuous improvement so that word yeah. how you know is that is that something that you have a focus on is that something that's incentivized to not just do the doing all the time but yeah. actually work on the, the round wheels no absolutely and then we we split the continuous improvement into two buckets one in terms of continuous improvement of the team whether it's knowledge mentor coaching and also continuous improvement our products because we you know you're never done that's why i go back to even this whole journey you're never done and you know we have things like specific allocation of our budgets to continuous improvement um because you have to keep up with what you're doing and so we measure um where we are but again i think this is an area we probably need to, to focus a little bit more on yeah yeah great that's amazing um I've really enjoyed having this conversation with you, Pravina. I think Swissery are very fortunate to have you, Thank you. <laughs> in the role that you're in. Um, I love, I love, I love the answer. I love how you've answered this. I love the answers to the question. Um, Swissery are going to be in, are in a great place, and will continue to be in a great place and continue improving. Um, so, Pravina, thank you very much. Thanks for joining thank me. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Thank you for the conversation.